Hello, and welcome to Teaching Together, the Complete Mathematics Podcast. On the podcast, we talk through a single objective in detail in order to make our teaching of the chosen idea more impactful. I'm Dave Taylor, and today we're joined by my Complete Maths colleague, Kieran Mackle. Hi, Dave. Great to be here. What are we looking at today, Kieran? We're going to explore the ability to read numbers to 20. This objective is from Unit 1 of Stage 1 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. You can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of 1,800 objectives at completemaths.com for free. You can follow along at home by heading to completemaths.com forward slash podcast to download the slide deck of tasks from today's episode. Once you've downloaded this, let's dive into teach, do, practice, behave with to be able to read numbers to 20. Before we teach pupils a new idea, we must be sure that we're doing the right maths at the right level. If we're not and it's too easy, we run the risk of boring pupils. But if it's too hard, we run the risk of developing the idea that maths isn't for everyone. And we know that everyone can learn maths well. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing prerequisite knowledge. Now, speaking from my secondary maths teacher perspective, being able to read numbers to 20 is not sort of within my wheelhouse but I do have a five-year-old who has learned this idea quite recently. So I'm really interested in how this looks in the classroom. So Kieran, can you, can you shed some light on that for me? So, I mean, th- this is happening really early on, you know, probably what we would call stage zero. And um, this sort of the, is where the sort of the prerequisite knowledge comes from, because there's, there's quite a few key pieces that need to be in place um, due to the way that we introduce the, the material. And like you say, you're saying, you know, your secondary experience, I think this is a lot like counting where it gets taken for granted and then, you know, we, we could potentially be more effective in our instruction. But before we go anywhere near this, you know, the, the pupils need to understand that numbers or quantities or amounts can be represented by numerals. And like in state zero, there's a there's an objective that focuses on the idea that children can generate their own marks. And so certainly with children, you know, who are typically between zero and five. There's no expectation that they they understand or they use the numerals that we have in place, you know, the Arabic numerals we have in place, um, but they need to understand that that's possible. I think they need to then know those initial digit numerals and then be able to count, you know, both recite and enumerate um, to 10 and probably recite beyond 10. So we've got these these sort of fundamental prerequisites that pupils should have been exploring, you know, for a long time since since birth that allow them then to be successful because this isn't necessarily the most intuitive part of mathematics, certainly if you're an English speaker. So is this, is this the kind of thing where I hold my daughter's hand and I walk up steps and we count every step as we go up? Sort of, that's very exciting, but also bridging towards enumerating as well. Yeah, I mean, like I say, like I mean, state zero sort of maps out this complex journey, and quite a lot of it is spent on taking pupils from the understanding, you know, that this general awareness that this kind of thing is possible, towards a more formal um, acknowledgement of the systems that are in place that allow us to discuss those ideas with other people, you know. And so, yeah, those opportunities to count things, to say the names. You know, you've said to me in the past about how 19 was a sticking point for, for your daughter. For me, 
my youngest, it was 14. 14 never got counted, you know, always got skipped. And then when I'd show him it, he'd be all like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere near it. And, and <laughs> you know, there was no rhyme or reason to it. But yeah, the more, obviously, the more you practice it, the, the more it becomes sort of embedded. And then we can then now build an understanding of what that actually actually means. Yeah, in terms of like the 19 thing, it was it was the difference between 19 and 90. So I was spending a lot of time saying nine-te, um, like, I'm, <laughs> like I'm from Wake. Um, so this is now about formalizing that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, cool. It's almost a, like a, an explicit exploration of why it is the way it is and how that helps us communicate with other people. So in the teach phase, this idea is entirely novel to pupils that are only just beyond their current level of understanding. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to explain and describe so that pupils can meaning make and form connections with their current schema. So how are we starting to formalise reading numbers 20 then, Kieran? So on the slides, I focused on the relationship between the digits and words because I think that anyone listening is likely to be aware of the idea that we're going to build these numbers using things like base 10 equipment. And we're going to show the sort of the underlying sort of properties in, in this way with young pupils. So I, I didn't think that point needed to be um, needed to be stressed in this episode. But it's a three pronged attack, um, and it's one of the few times that I'm not advocating worked examples as the as the core of the phase. So obviously, if, if people listen back to the episodes I've been on, it's normally in this phase. It's a back and forth. It's carefully sequenced questions taking you to an end point. But I think a, a different approach is necessary here. Um, so we've got three representations of an abstract concept. We've got base 10 equipment, we've got digits um, or numerals, and we've got the, the word, which is probably also a numeral as well, isn't it? Um, you know, I know you were talking about this on Twitter the other, the other day, Dave. Um, and what, what we do is we explore them in tandem and we draw attention to important or novel features. Um, and I think the key thing is that you've got 10 and some more. Um, English, like I said, English speakers, isn't it, it, the language isn't ideal. And in fact, I think it, at this point in particular, it's woefully inadequate. Um, so we need, to be, um, we need to be deliberate and break the idea down into three sort of groups. I think we've called a classification. So we've got 11 and 12, which are directly Germanic, um, and have their own names. Then you've got 13, 15, and 18. 13 being the first compound number. Um, and that there's an argument that the origins of 13 come from its ordinality as opposed to its cardinality. Um, but the etymology tracks back, you know, from sort of the time in the Anglo-Saxons through like Scandinavian stuff to, um, to 3 and 10. You know, yeah. But then you've got the last group, which is 14, 16, 17, and 19, where it's the same idea, but you've got the full digit name and 10. Um, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to draw attention to this. It's something and 10, because most other or quite a lot of other languages do that for you. You know, Bernie Westcott talks about how Welsh does it, Irish does something similar. And I think, you know. Some number systems have their own quirks, like in French, when you get past 60, I think, becomes quite interesting because you're multiplying 20. But here, we really need to focus people's attention because it has no rhyme or reason when you compare it with 
what happens when you get past 20 because essentially you've got this repeating pattern that will continue on to infinity yeah um so i mean what what came to mind then was when you mentioned other languages was french so like i know that 19 is decent earth um i remember that from my gcses and that that does make sense um more than 19 to me actually because i know that 10 is yeah the, the teen part is 10 i'm aware of that um and 20 that interests me because i imagine that that's two tens with the o and the t missed out of the middle which i mean whoever decided to do that was well i think what happens over time dave is that um the vowels either stretch or contract and so the sound would have been completely different a long time ago you know so if we're if we're thinking the formalization of of the you know where our language is now probably around the year 1000 you know because the the viking the viking sort of um settlers had had mixed with them the saxons who'd come over a couple of hundred years before and so then those those languages would have been marian and would have taken a long time and the vowel sounds would have changed you know this is my very rudimentary explanation but um that's typically how languages behave you know and if i think if we didn't have the ability to print and write then we could have arguably six or seven different versions of english within the united kingdom alone because if you think about what scottish sounds like and if you read irvine welsh it's a completely different language but it's still english and i think we would have something similar in sort of the southwest possibly in the midlands you know and in the, in the cold north where you're from dave and <laughs> northern ireland we we have our own version southern ireland has its own version you know so if we didn't have the written word the printing press didn't develop when it did i think we'd see a lot more examples like this but um yeah so over that period of time the vowel sounds have changed so that i don't think we can look for exact rhyme or reason sorry if i'm rambling dave i no, not at all uh really interesting actually um but at this point we're going to transition out of the teach phase and we're going to look for people to do and that's coming up next Now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's talk about do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they've been shown. And in most cases, this is likely to be a procedure which leads to a solution. The do phase complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new procedure. The teacher is responsive to pupils, amending their model or example to make stronger connections in pupils' schema and maintaining pupil motivation. The aim of this stage is for pupils to be successful and it's important to state that meaningful learning hasn't yet occurred and that pupils are just replicating the novel idea. So what might the do phase look like, Kieran? I think it's lots of exposure over an extended period of time. I think we've got to give them a chance to match, like I have in the, in the task on the slides. But we also need to read them a lot, write them a lot, represent them little and often, um, and I think all the time. You know, So, for instance, if I teach this, at the start of term one, if my class can read, write, and represent in a number of ways by the end of the year, I'll be pretty happy, you know? But I've definitely taught sort of, I think people who were about five or six years old. And at the time, they would hit the stumbling blocks that you would expect them to, like the word it, you know, because our numbers are a nightmare to spell. And, you know, they have to they have to understand it before they get to that 
sort of sign spelling correspondence in any any phonics program. And you know, so I don't really mind if in the moment they're not able to do this with 100% accuracy. But if we're still there in July, you know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'll need to do some extra about this, you know, because my youngest today was on tutor and he was doing the days of the week. Um, and Wednesday is a total nightmare to spell. In fact, most of the days of the week are, you know, so I, th- I think we must hate children because the, the language is not designed for teaching young people how to how to use it effectively. <laughs> yeah, um, I mentioned this yesterday. You you were you were complaining that the gods hate you. Um, Wednesday <laughs> actually is uh, Old English for for Woden's Day, isn't it? It is referring to the Norse god Odin, and the days of a week are, are really interesting to get into, uh, particularly when you look at in, into like French and stuff as well. Yeah, big time. Yeah, I mean, it's Thursday today and it's still raining, Dave, so I don't know. <laughs> I've really upset them. And <laughs> we'll see what happens tomorrow. Um, but yeah, but like I say, I think lots of exposure, little and often, and realistic expectations. You know, it's the same with number bonds. We're introducing number bonds within five in state zero. You know, if we're, if with the, you know, it's not going to be one lesson job. It's going to be how often can I give people the opportunity to do this? And like I say, I think matching is a good example, a good way of reducing the cognitive load because you're not having to think about spelling. You're thinking about the correspondence between the numerals and, and then build from there, you know, make the difficulty a little bit more each time. But yeah, yeah it, it could be part of, you know, whatever way you set up your class, every now and again, you've got an opportunity to record, read in, in different ways. So there'll be a fair amount of spacing involved here then? I think so. You know, I, I think... It, it doesn't necessarily connect, you know, obviously the numeral um, with, with digits is important for later mathematics. But if you can't spell 15, it's not going to be a massive um, impediment to um, to your progress, I don't think. Nice. OK, so having talked through the teach and do phases and pupils are beginning to develop fluency, um, we're going to segue into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing and begin to develop more flexible knowledge of the idea. Through teach and do, pupils are now fluent with to be able to read numbers to 20, so we're now directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. So we're looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed task that will aid pupils in forming links with their existing schema. Kieran, what might this activity look like? So in, in my example, I've tried to add complexity to the task rather than the mathematics, because there's only so far you can go. I can't make this mathematics deeper than what it is. And it's a fundamental point in the pupil's journey. But there's no change in the context here. You know, you just need to know it. So I think there's only so far you can go. So the task difficulty has been raised and hopefully the mathematical difficulty has been maintained. Um, because essentially what you want is people to be really proficient. So tasks that demand that they're 100% correct with their representation are key. And so you can't solve the um, the problem without accurately recording the the number names um, on, on this task. And so I think, yeah, I would say practice and do they marry up and you're just increasing the task difficulty or your expectations on the pupil's accuracy. 
you know, but there's no point in, in generating a ton of different tasks, but maybe tweak your expectations on the pupils or the, the difficulty slightly. So this might be a task that we use uh, spaced in terms of that spacing that we talked about before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe a month or two later, see how they fur. I mean, give me some pretty interesting feedback because I've, I've got um, I've got some from the different groups. You know, I'm going to 13. If I see any three teens in there, or they might run out of space and go three to, um, you know, 15 as well. You know, I've, I've chosen the ones that I think, right, okay, um, what information do I need to see what our practice looks like going forward, you know? Nice. And after pupils have begun to develop this strong connection between digits and, and words and being able to read numbers to 20, um, we're going to look at them behaving mathematically and we'll look at that next. In order to develop mathematicians, this phase is the most important of all. We deepen understanding through behaving mathematically, and when behaving mathematically, maturation matters. Tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years, so we're looking for pupils to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising through to analysing and reasoning with a related idea from two stages previous. For to be able to read numbers 20, the task on slide seven is something that we expect pupils to to do further along in their mathematical maturation. Can you talk us through that, Kieran? Yeah. So when we talked about ancient number systems, you know, pupils are typically working through stage four, and this wasn't quite behave, but it, it might have been practice. Okay. So I want you to use your knowledge of um, of our number system to sort of poke and prod other systems, but because the objective where you know they read numbers to 20 is all about representations of numbers and values i think there's a direct link between those objectives and um, and by the time we're working with number systems we should be pretty confident that we can utilize the knowledge from this from this sort of sequence and um, and so i've taken a practice task i made it a behave task here because it serves different purposes and um, and so while you might be in the context of your sequence be setting a practice task, it's actually also behaving with the knowledge that came before, you know, because with sufficient prompting, you should be able to say, well, what, what do you know about um, about our number system and the way it's generated in um, in, in numerals and, and how, how does it, you know, what do you know about the words? And um, does that make a difference? Because we're looking at strengths and weaknesses. Um, and it might be that we look at the weaknesses of the system that we use to inform our decisions about the strengths and weaknesses of other systems, you know. So being able to read numbers to 20, we're going to be using that that knowledge all the time. But if we're looking at properly behaving with it, I think it comes into its own at stage four and when we're looking at ancient number systems or even when we're looking at our own number systems. So that, I think that's the kind of way I'm thinking about the behave phase is the idea that what is it I'm really proficient with that I can utilize in my thinking, you know, because in the past I've rushed to set um you know a rich task based on reading numbers to 20 well maybe that might be more appropriate for pupils once they're a bit more mature and have a sort of higher level of competency with the the material yeah so you mentioned about using uh this task within the ancient number systems episode 
um, as a practice activity and, and hear its behave. And I think that's really important, uh, just to stress. I'm um, speaking with my secondary teacher head on, because um, it was mentioned at Teaching Together in Leeds last night. Uh, Johnny put the quote on the board from John Mason. Like there is something along the lines of there is no such thing as a rich task, just a task used richly. I think it's really important that we can we can see tasks used in different ways and see their their importance and their value to bring out different understandings um, at different times during the maturation period. So we could have something like like Cistercian numerals uh, is, is a favorite of mine, which is on math spot. You could bring that up in place value, and you could bring that up. As a, as a teach phase, really, you could bring that up when, when you're looking at place value further down the line with year seven kids. And then when you're looking at your ancient number systems, you could in, include Cistercian numerals there. And that same task can serve two different purposes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that next level of thinking carefully about the tasks that you design and the reason you've designed them, you know, which I think um, it's one of the reasons I like how our curriculum set up because it encourages the things that are most important. And for me, the most important thing a teacher can do is think. Well, that's it for this episode of Teaching Together. Remember that you can check out the entire curriculum for free at CompleteMaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives from counting to calculus. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode, and if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at TaylorDear01. And mine is at Kieran underscore M underscore Ed. Or get in touch with the Complete Maths team on at LaSalle Ed. Or you can get us on email. I'm Dave at CompleteMaths.com. And I'm Kieran at CompleteMaths.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your chosen podcast provider. And please feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care. Bye.